Matthew chapter 19 is where we turn this morning. Just very briefly, this will be a launching off point for us as we look across the scriptures and consider uh, various ideas, various topics in relation to uh, this general topic and why we're even talking about it this morning. But Matthew chapter 19, our Lord is toward the end of his ministry, earthly ministry, that is, and heading up to Jerusalem, going to uh, die and, um, of course, be resurrected for our sins. And we look forward to that uh, Well, we, if we were to continue reading in Matthew 19 and 20 and, and so forth. We'd read all about it. But a discussion he had, a conversation uh, prompted for a variety of reasons, we'll get all of those things, why the Pharisees brought this topic up to Jesus in Matthew 19. Beginning at verse 3, just reading a few verses here, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two should become one flesh. So they're no longer two. But one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now this is not a sermon or a study on marriage per se, but the opening phrase that he had there in verse 4, in the beginning he made them male and female. Let me just comment one thing though about this statement of Jesus in response to this very controversial question about divorce and remarriage. It was kind of implied, the divorce, uh, the remarriage part of divorce. But he says here in verse 6, they're no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together? And you think, well, how did God do that? How did God join them together? It's kind of a magic thing. Did it happen at the wedding? Did it happen at the kiss? What, what was the thing? No, he already said it. How did God join them together? And back in verse 4, he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them? God made them, male and female, and he said. In other words, if we were to consider how in the world has God joined these two together, he did that. He did it. He does it by design, that is to say, he made, and he does it by his decree, he said. He made them male and female, and he said, this is what marriage is about. And so marriage is not something contrived, it's not a social uh, convenience, it's not something that uh, through the ages we thought this is the best way to do this thing. No, it's by nature, it's by design, male and female, and it's by his very clear statement. This is what marriage is. A man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. So what God has joined together. But he focuses on this idea of, of male and female. Now, there are a bunch of terms we need to realize here, and we'll get into why are we talking about this today. Weren't we studying Job or something like that? Yes, we were. We'll get back to that very soon. But this idea of sex, gender, and related ideas. Now, this will be a family-friendly message. This will be uh, very helpful, I hope, for us to consider for ourselves, for our children, but also for our nieces, nephews, cousins, uh, co-workers, daughters, sons. We need this teaching from the Lord. In other words, who did this? God. God made them male and female. Who designed sex? God did. When we talk about this term sex, we're talking about, and these, all these definitions I'll present here very briefly, are from the Merriam-Webster dictionary online, or you can read the, the uh, printed text. But sex has to do with anatomy, essentially. From the beginning of creation until the present day, until you know, two hours ago, sex related to anatomy, right? Related to the specifically reproductive or organs and structures that distinguish male and female, even from not just birth and not just the first ultrasound that shows, uh, okay, this is what's going on there, but from the moment of fertilization, there is 
chromosomal evidence of what this child is going to be, male or female. When we talk about this term gender, for throughout history, sex and gender, we're talking about the same thing. Anatomy, biology, however you want to talk about it now. And yet, in the last, I don't know, 50 years, 60 years or so, it has had its own definition. That is to say, it is the behavioral, cultural, or psychological traits typically associated with one's sex. Not always associated with one's sex, but typically. And this is where we get into the issue of, well, what is it to be a man? What is it to be a, a woman? What is it to be uh, male or female? A lot of, a lot of um, maybe false ideas, stereotypes that, that could be attached to those things have been, obviously, in the last many revolutions that we've had socially, uh, culturally, have uh, defied that. Oh, the women, should, you know, places are in the home, or, or men should be strong and, and uh, sleek and, and uh, tall, dark, and handsome, whatever else. M- men are the working folks, and the, the ladies should just be home barefoot and pregnant. Uh, I mean, these are stereotypes that we have heard and maybe maintained throughout the time. And that, you know, all these different stereotypes, where's, where does the scripture say that? Now, there are scriptures that we could get into regarding work. Work is specifically a man's responsibility. It's not to say women can't do it. I mean, read Proverbs 31. Good grief. Those are not stereotypes. This is what a blessed, a good, godly, virtuous wife is. In fact, that phrase, virtuous wife, means a woman of strength, a woman of dignity and honor. This is what she does. And so stereotypes that we present in this world, if they're not connected with Scripture, they're off base. If we identify male and female based on other characteristics and not what God has said regarding this, and even the evidence he had when God made male and female, who did he make? Adam and Eve. And we see, we'll look at those Scriptures here in just a moment. But gender has come to mean something that is maybe associated with with anatomy and yet something that is beyond it, something that has to do with uh, the behavior, the, the culture around it, even the psychological traits. When we talk even further about gender identity, now these are all terms you've heard in the news, I presume, if you're reading the news, if you're paying attention to anything uh, that's going on in the last uh, five years, ten years, uh, specifically in the last few years, very exponentially, a person's gender identity. Whereas sex is objective, it's something, okay, yes, boy, girl, gender identity it's a, it's a, I was going to say selfish, but as a self-centered, it's not negatively saying, but it, it's how do you perceive yourself? Do you perceive yourself? In other words, here it says a person's internal sense of being male, female, or some combination, or neither. And so you've heard all these different terms uh, of, of, that you could apply to, to okay, what, how do you feel about yourself today? And some people would talk about being gender fluid. Some days I feel like this, and sometimes if, it it's a very subjective thing, and yet this is what so many people are basing their whole lives on. This is their identity. They cannot separate it from, from uh, who they are, who they function, who they, you know, the roles that they have in the world. No, I am a whatever uh, situation. We'll look at some uh, further terms here in a moment. Having the identity then, how the self-subjective self, uh, nature of it, well, how do we present that to other people then? What's your gender expression? That is the physical and behavioral manifestations of one's gender identity. When the, the gender that you feel you have is different from the anatomy that you have, that's called gender dysphoria. It used to be called gender identity disorder, but now it's gender dysphoria, and it is a distressed state. 
And they go, well, I, no, I feel, to some people who would say, no, I, I, I've had this dysphoria, but now I feel myself, now I feel whole, now having this new identity is different, perhaps, from my anatomy, but now I, maybe they wouldn't say it's a distressed state, but it is when the person's gender identity and the sex the person has uh, are, are different. And notice it says here, the sex the person was has or was identified as having at birth. We have a, a, a statement in our bylaws regarding sex assigned at birth, and it's kind of, okay, so on Thursday nights, we have this men and boys Bible study, and we're, we're studying through the Bible, of course, but we use a, 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 a book called Biblical Doctrines, written by John MacArthur and, and uh, Richard Mayhew, on systematic doctrine. And one of the phrases that they talk about, and just recently we've, we've studied it, is uh, regarding the attributes of God and a maybe a newer, not so actually it's not so much newer, but a, a different way to approach those ideas. What what we're describing, who is God? Instead of using attributes, the, the preferred term is the perfections of God. In other words, if we were to say similar to to assigned at birth, that means who's assigning it? Who's who's making that child boy or girl? The doctors, the physicians, the nurses, the midwife? No. It's not an assigned or attributive category or or a definition of them. It is something inherent. When we talk about the perfections of God, he doesn't need anybody else to prove that he is holy or sovereign or all-powerful or all-knowing or full of grace or all these wonderful perfections that are his. And some are only his and some are communicated or shared with other people with you know, this idea of loving and, and having some sense of knowledge, communicable, incommunicable perfections. Don't want to get too deep on that. But we don't assign those things to him. We don't attribute them things. We agree. That's who God is. In, him, in himself, he is a perfect uh, God. He's per- perfect in all these different ways. And so to state it this way, that the sex that was identified or assigned at birth, no, it, pre- it precedes that. It precedes the ultrasound that determines, oh, a boy or a girl. It precedes all those things and goes back to the moment of, of fertilization. And that is when the X and the Y or the X and the X chromosomes come together. And we have this this uh, wonderful, beautiful child that God is fashioning in the womb. All these different terms from the very objective uh, anatomy to the more subjective, how do you feel about yourself, uh, are part of this modern world's nomenclature. We're talking about these terms all the time. You hear these, you see them on the social media and through news and, and legislation even, which brings us to our, why are we doing this this morning? Last year at this time, we also had a Biblical Sexuality Sunday observance. And why did we do that? Because our brothers to the north in Canada had a bill passed. It, now it's been uh, December of 2021, but you can see the timeline here when it was passed in the House of Commons. Notice December 1st, December 7th, December 8th, all packaged. Now, they, it was uh, presented, I think, at the end of November. This bill, has it was presented and, and uh, accepted but it had been something that has been in the works for years, three or four years ago, well, however many times now, it's 2023 now, but it was presented in a different form several years ago as a Bill C-6, I believe, but it was finally passed, and it received royal assent. That means, to whatever degree, Queen Elizabeth had awareness of this, this uh, bill being passed regarding an amendment to the criminal code. In January of last year, it came into force, and it, because it has the possibility, potentiality, very much likelihood, intentionality anyway, of affecting and involving churches and pastors and Christian counselors, 
the, the churches in, in Canada said, can we preach on this? Can we violate this law right at the beginning? Because this is wrong. This is wrong. And so many churches in Canada, many in, in more in, in America and some even around the world last year participated in this. We also did. And they've asked us to continue that uh, for this Sunday. And what's, what's wrong with reading the scripture? What, what's wrong with, with uh, focusing on this issue? Because it is such a powerful, such a profound issue. One example in, was last year when a pastor in, I think it was British Columbia, preached on this message or preached this, this topic. He didn't know, but there was a young lady in the congregation who had this gender dysphoria and was acknowledged or presenting herself as a boy, just a young girl, late teenage years, I imagine. And he, he didn't know, but she was convicted of her, of her rebellion, her, all the different things that were attached to it. She reconciled to God. She reconciled to her parents. She said, I'm not a boy. I'm a girl. And she embraced who she is, uh, um, as a result of that preaching last last year. And so I want to look just briefly at this this amendment to the criminal code. It has to do with uh, conversion therapy, conversion therapy, which they're going to identify, they're going to define here in just a moment. But notice how do they relate to it? How do they refer to it? We see that this, this uh, attitude they have, conversion therapy says it causes harm. It causes harm to people who are subjected to it. And if you were to look at some of the examples of what has happened in the name of conversion therapy, whoa, yeah, that's, that's not good. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. That's not helpful. That's not kind. That's rude. It's demeaning. It's condescending to people. It's not honoring to God. It is something that is manipulative. It's something that's coercive. And so in some respects, what they're against, we're against too. But in other respect, fundamentally, we disagree. Their approach, their solution, their identifying of the problem. No, that's, that's not the problem. Because how they, they approach it is this. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society, not just to the individual, but to the whole society, because here it is, it propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. What are these myths and stereotypes? Now, myth can mean a lot of things. In this, in this context, they're talking about an unfounded or false notion, just things that are made up out of whole cloth. They're not real. They're not attached to reality. They're just somebody thought that was a way to have oppression to oppress the, the women or the men or whatever. And so they presented this myth, this, this new uh, notion here. Or stereotypes has to do with uh, some kind of a, a standardized, even a caricature of what it is to be a man or woman. And it's been, we standardize it, we simplify it, and then we apply it to everybody else. This is what it means to be a man, right? Men don't cry, right? Do you know the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Wait a minute, is he not a man? He is the manliest man you ever want to know. Wow. What about femininity? What are the caricatures of that? Okay, are there ones, some that have been misapplied? Yes. But when they're talking fundamentally about myths and stereotypes, they're not just picking things out here. They are going right to the heart of what is it to be a man or woman, as you'll see here in just a moment. It says, including the myth that heterosexuality cisgender gender identity. Cisgender means having the gender identity of your anatomy. So if you're born a, a boy, then being cisgender means you are a, 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 a man in a, in a boy's body, or a man in a man's body, or a male in a male body, right? Cisgender. Whereas transgender would be the opposite, a man in a, boy, in a girl's body, or, or vice versa, a woman, vice versa. So saying that heterosexuality, that's the norm? That's the myth? Our gender expression that conforms to sex assigned a, a, a person at birth. Why do we have to act like 
men if we're born boys, right? Why do we have to act like women if we're born girls? Well, because that's what, what God made us to be, right? He made us that way. But no, to, to, to propagate that, to insist upon it, to oppress other people with that knowledge, that's wrong. That is harmful. Harmful. And it says here uh, that those, the heterosexuality and all is preferred, is to be preferred over other, other possibilities, right? Uh, gender identities, gender expressions. That we, we uh, you know, people, let people do whatever they want to do. Who, who, who's to say? Well, God said, right? In the beginning, God made them male and female, not male, female, cisgender, transgender, all these different things. He didn't, when he gave marriage in Genesis 2, verse 24, that Jesus went on to quote there in that same context in Matthew 19, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and so forth. That's God decreeing these things. That's God saying these things. And so who, who's to say that these are to be preferred? Well, how about God? Well, we don't believe in God. God is a figment of your imagination. God is a carryover from an ancient uh, uh, whatever. No, God is God. He's revealed himself. And, and, and we can get rude about things. And actually, we can agree with Scripture, quoting Scripture. What does Psalm 14.1 say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we can say, oh, you're just a foolish person. Well, yes. Or we can quote Romans 1. Yes, everybody knows there's a God, but we suppress that truth and unrighteousness. Yes, yes, yes. But why? Why are they suppressing that thing? What, what has happened? Even in relation to gender dysphoria, gender identity, why? Why are so many young people, and more particularly young girls, going this way? And, and going so far as to have gender, they call it gender affirming treatment, starts with hormone, or excuse me, puberty, puberty blockers, hormonal, you know, cross sex hormones, and then surgery. I mean, that's, that's the path. That's the, the, the railroad track to, to a whole and happy life, which is not. It is not at all. But that is the, the path. Why? Because who's to say that, that one thing is more preferred over another? And so here's, here's where they define it. And this is where we see, wait a minute, they're talking about us. They're talking about the church. They're talking about God's word. Conversion therapy, what do they mean? It is a practice, treatment, or service designed to do several things. And notice the repeated words, change and repress. Change and repress. But notice how they say, what is this change about? What, are, what is conversion therapy against? Or excuse me, what, what is conversion, conversion therapy doing? Changing and repressing things. Here it says, okay, and this is, these are all quoting, this is all quoting from that bill, Bill C4. Uh, it is a change, conversion therapy is a process, et cetera, to change a person's sexual orientation to which, whatever the person wants. No, wait a minute. Changing it to heterosexual. Who's to say the heterosexuality, which is to say men are attracted to women. Women are attracted to men. That is heterosexual. Homosexual is men attracted to men, women attracted to women. And who's to say that heterosexuality is, is right? No. Conversion therapy, you're trying to change person, people to be heterosexual. You're trying to change a person's gender identity to cisgender, to match their who they feel they are in their body to who they are in their body, their anatomy, trying to, to move them back to uh, a unity in that regard. And thirdly here, or C, changing a person's gender expression. How do they present themselves to others so that it conforms to the sex assigned to them, oppressive, tyrannical, whatever? Who, who's to say that's a boy or a girl? Well, look at some scripture that's kind of clear about the whole, whole thing. And then the second characteristic, repressing. You know, just 
stomping on people, repressing or reducing non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. So non-heterosexual could be any number of the deviations of, of, uh, of that. Repressing a person's non-cisgender gender identity. And you think, all these terms, what, what, what are you saying? It's making people want that they should act in a certain way according to their anatomy and, and uh, the roles that God has for male and female in society, in family life, marriage, family life. Finally here, conversion therapy seeks to repress or reduce a person's gender expression that doesn't conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. So why is that man dressed up in, in a dress? Uh, or And he's not Scottish, okay? Uh, but And what are these women doing wearing the pantsuits? I mean, what, it's not evil, it's not wicked, and yet we'll look at some scripture that would suggest otherwise uh, about that whole thing. So it's all about changing and repressing to get back to God's standard. You get, you get the idea, you get the feel of that. And lest we think, well, they didn't really mean it that way, the, the bill sponsors and the legislature, they, didn't, they, they weren't going after religious institutions. They were, very specifically in, the, in their document. Uh, they, there's no accommodation. I'll just re- read briefly. There's no accommodation for religious belief. In fact, the debate surrounding the bill specifically recognized that, quote, conversion therapy was experienced in religious settings, and that is harmful. And it goes on, says, uh, the bill seeks to enforce a complete ban on the practice in secular settings, in church settings, wherever this conversion therapy is happening. And lest you think, whoa, I'm so glad I live in America. I am too. But does that mean we're immune from this thing? This is a bill in Canada. It's in, in a force. It's been enforced for a year. Now, as far as I can tell, there haven't been any uh, prosecutions or any kind of legal action against anybody that's provided conversion therapy, and yet it's in the books. I, I imagine they're just waiting for the, the perfect case to get it in ports and whatever else, but they, they have not uh, acted uh, legally charging anybody in this regard. But hey, here in America, we have similar bans. Do you know that there are 20 states that have very similar bans against conversion therapy in the kind of categories we've been talking here? And there are over 100 municipalities, including here in Kentucky and Ohio. Um, let's see, in Kentucky, Covington has a very uh, has a ban on conversion therapy. Louisville, Lexington uh, prohibits uh, conversion therapy for minors. In Ohio, Cincinnati has a similar ban. Columbus, Dayton, and Toledo all have similar bans. And so you think, oh, I'm, it's only happening in Canada? No, 20 states. That's like two fifths. That's like 40 percent. That's like a lot in America that are following after this pattern. Now, I don't have a lot of scripture on the screen. I'm going to mention it. I didn't know which ones I'd get to, so I didn't put it on the screen. But we'll follow along with with various ideas here on on this idea of scripture. Do you remember in Matthew 19 and verse 4, God, the Lord, Jesus, said that he who made them. So who's this he who made them? That's the creator, right? And he quotes directly from uh, Genesis 1 and verse 27, which we'll read here in just a moment, but also a very similar statement in Genesis 5 and verse 2, where he speaks of that. But he says, first of all, this is the creator. And so that, that brings us right to the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible. What do we say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who's the creator? How did this all come to be? Is this just a uh, a mistake, a, a convenience of, of nature, something that happened over a long period of time? Is it something that we have either an eternal God or an eternal matter? This, all this matters out there and we doesn't know what to do with itself and so it just starts making life and that's how all this happened? No. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created time. 
God created a space and the matter to go into that space. And so it all starts with God. That means God is outside of creation. That means that God is over creation. That means that everything that he made, and there's no other creator, it's not like he made his own thing over here in this playground, and there's others set over thing going over here, and that's the naturalistic evolutionary thing over here. And then somebody else, this, this universe over here, I mean, multiverse, right? We're talking about that's big in the entertainment industry anyway. No, there's one creation. There's one God, and he made what we see. And we're learning about from the, the farthest thing away to the smallest little thing, God made it all. Everything belongs to him. He is Lord of creation, both by his, the, the practice, everything goes back to him, but also in terms of his authority. He, there's nobody else who has that authority. God did, did not make an equal to himself. Satan is not an equal. He's an opponent. He's an accuser. He's a rebel against him. He wants to get as many people uh, against him as, or, or with him to, against God as possible, but he's not an equal to God. God has no equal. God is God. He's the living God. And so what, is, what does he say? How does he go, out, go about doing things in this world? He is the creator. When we read a little bit later in Genesis, verse 27, 26, he says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, so that they will have a dominion over the flat fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We'll get back to that idea about dominion here in just a moment as it goes on and speaks more in verse 28. But verse 27 is what the Lord Jesus quoted. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we have humanity, just a general term for male, female, man, woman, boy, girl, are human. Or in the, in the very generic phrase, man. This is who we're talking about. But he's very specifically stating male and female. So there are two different sexes, if you don't mind, going back to that anatomical uh, definition. Adam and Eve, made in God's image. And this image of God, this is a fundamental statement, and yet it's not developed a lot in Scripture, uh, and per se. Now, all of Scripture is about it, right? Because we relate to God as image bearers. Dogs, cats, frogs, um, uh, tree rats like squirrels, they, they, can't, they can't relate to God like humans can. We're made in God's image. That means a lot of things that we want to get into now. But you know, uh, Colossians 3 and verse 10, that we are being renewed into the image of the one who created him. In other words, we are made in God's image. That image has been tarnished because of sin, Genesis 3, but it is being renewed. We're being made new to be like Jesus, Romans 8, 20. Nine, that he should be the firstborn among many brethren. We want to be conformed. That's God's purpose in salvation. Not so that you can be, you be the greatest person you can be over there, but no, you be the best person to reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the image of God that we want to honor. Uh, Colossians 1.15 is the image of the invisible God. Uh, Hebrews 1 speaks about the, the, uh, the, the one who is, uh, John, John 1 and Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, all those, those tremendous uh, statements about the, uh, the image of Christ, image of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. But we talk about the image of God specifically, it is this idea of male and female in, in God's design. You know, throughout Scripture, we see these kinds of terms, male and female, they're different terms, different categories of, of humans in this regard. We can read about male 
slaves, male servants, and female slaves. Different terms. Obviously, we know who we're talking about. We can talk about man and woman. We can talk about father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, bridegroom, and bride. They're all different terms, and we understand what is going, being talked about here. From, this, from the beginning, sex, or the, the, I mean, even gender identity, if we want to get right back down to the bare bones of it, is, has to do with anatomy. Something that is not takes a lot of discerning, a lot of you know, scientific study. You know, after long years of research and so forth, we can finally define what is a man, what is a woman. No, you just look. And, okay, what about the exceptions? Well, yes, there are exceptions. Do you know why there are exceptions? Because of Genesis 3, because of the fall affecting everything about ourselves. Why are there uh, chromosomal differences or, or disorders? Where, where, and these are documented. I think there are uh, four of them, two related to male chromosome or male uh, males, and then two related to females. With a, either there's an extra chromosome or a missing chromosome, and so there, there are issues there with, with who they are, but they are still males and females. They just have a, a different pattern, a, a lot of different characteristics that relate to these different disorders. Or in the course of the development of the baby in utero, in the uterus, in the, in the womb. The, you know, Psalm 139 talks about God fashioning these babies in the womb. He's doing that work. But why do some children, why are some children born with various disorders, uh, injuries, illnesses, diseases, malformations from the womb? Well, it's, in one respect, it's because of sin. It's because sin has entered the world and there is a curse upon this whole humanity. But secondly, and more delightfully, more reassuringly, God is in that detail. God is the one behind all these things. And we say, well, I, I can't believe in a God who would, who would make a child get, be born with whatever, pick your disease. Didn't God make the seeing eye and the blind eye? Didn't he make the hearing ear and the deaf ear? Hasn't God ordained all these things for his glory? We think, how can God be glorified in, in that wickedness? the same way that God may glorified in the, the innocent uh, suffering for the, for the unrighteous. How can God be glorified in the death of Christ for sinners, in other words? How, how, how is God honored in that? Because he's accomplishing his purpose. He's accomplishing grace. He's, he's glorifying himself through these things. And we think, oh, all right then. I guess, I guess we'll abide by that. When we hear a diagnosis of cancer or heart attacks or all these things, where, how is God accomplishing his glory? How is God advancing his name in this situation? We think there's no possible way. This is horrible. This is bad stuff. We cry. We have tears. But God's purpose, remember our opening verse, if God is for us, we don't need to fear. What are we fearful about? No, we shouldn't be that way. In other words, when we have the abnormalities, the deviations from anatomy that, that are dis, uh, destructive or, or at least confusing, we don't know what to do with this, what is God's purpose? How can God's purpose be accomplished in it? But the exceptions, by the way, just underline, the rule is, hey, is it a boy or a girl? When, when somebody announces they're pregnant, hey, is it a boy or a girl? What's his name or her name? You know, what's going on? We assume, because that's just what, what happens. It's a boy or a girl. We see, uh, for, well, for example, uh, that there are male and female animals. Do you know when, when Noah received the animals, he didn't have to go, how do you feel today, Mr. Elephant? Do you feel like a male or a female? Do you have a gender identity disorder? What's going on? Because I need to make sure, right? Because one of the fundamental issues of male and femaleness is bearing children. I didn't read it in Genesis 1, verse 28, is it? He says, 
in verse 28. Yes, be fruitful and multiply. Not do your math tables, right? He's not talking about, you know. He's saying be fruitful and have a lot of children. Multiply, not just add, but outnumber yourself in the number of your children. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and all these things. And we see this is what happens. Adam and Eve had children, Cain, Abel, Seth, others. You know, who, who, who married, you know, who was Cain's wife? Well, either a sister or a niece or something like that. And you think, oh, that's gross. Well, no, it wasn't at that time. It's fine. It is a problem now. So don't do that. But notice it says, be fruitful and multiply. How are people going to reproduce? Well, it's through male and femaleness. And that's how with Noah, you needed both the male and female to carry on the animal population in the new, you know, the post-flood world. When Abram's wealth is measured, he, he says, I have male and female servants. I have female donkeys. That's how Job's wealth was measured too, right? Female donkeys, because you want them to bear uh, more donkeys that can do your labor and, for, and, forth, and so forth for you. Uh, when Jacob was... Um, you remember in Genesis 30 when Jacob is, is basically taking over his father-in-law's flock and Laban, his father-in-law, was a crooked bandit, rascal type fellow. But the point was when the, the flock, when the sheep and the goats were coming to mate, Jacob did different things to make sure that he got the best of the flock. It has to do with identifying. There's a male, there's a female. I want that male and that female together so we get wonderful children out of it. And so it's very evident Sexuality is evident even in the animal world. By the way, confusion often comes. Aren't humans just mammals, just on a better, higher order? No. No. Humans are not mammals. Humans are not animals, just on a higher order. Humans are human. Entirely different category than the animal world. Do we share some characteristics? Yes. Does that mean that we're the same? No. We are not. We are made in God's image. So if you have a quiz question, you know, what order or what class or genus or species of, or whatever, of, of, of uh, the, the chart thing are humans, they're humans. They're different. They're not mammals. They're, we're classified that way, but we're not. Anyway, belaboring the point. We talk about these male and female slaves. Do you remember when it happened in Exodus chapter 1 that Pharaoh came after the male Hebrew children? And it happens in Matthew 2 when Herod went after the male Hebrew children again. How are they going to know? I mean, they can't even talk. How, how do we know? What is this gender identity of this, of this individual? We've got to wait until they, they can identify themselves. And people, by the way, people in this modern age say infants can have gender dysphoria. They just, they just don't feel right about who they are as a person. And it just develops, and and all these stereotypes that girls like pink. I had a friend in Texas who said, real men wear pink. And fine, you can wear whatever you want to do. Pink, it's color. It's fine. But when when you say, no, we're, we're, we're how do we say, oppressing or, or speaking into somebody's life and helping them, not helping them, making them or influencing them in a wrong direction, contrary to God's design, that is wrong. That is harmful in the language of... The Bill C-4. Romans 1, 26 and 27 talk very much about male and femaleness. You can look at that. What about when Paul in Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians 3 and verse 28 says, there's no more male or female. Biology, right? Biology, anatomy. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. There is neither male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Well, if that is the case, that, that all these distinctions are abolished, we're one in Christ, 
Why does he talk about, I have come, Galatians is one of the first letters he wrote, by the way, when he says there is no more Jew and Greek, why does he say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation both for the Jew and the Greek, or to the Jew first. Wait a minute, I, I thought there was no distinction. No, there's no distinction in this regard in ethnic identity. Everybody can come to God. It doesn't matter your social status, whether you're a slave or free man. All can come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't man, matter if you're a man or a woman, male or female. You can all come to uh, oneness in Christ Jesus. There are still distinctions. Why does he make such a big deal? Paul does in, in Ephesians 5. Husbands do this. Wives do this. Because there are distinctions. There are different roles that we have to play in this world. And so even the gender identity, the, the stereotypical stuff, the, the psychology, the cultural attachments, the societal uh, functions, very much present in this day and age. There are distinctions that we ought to ought to uh, maintain. Do you remember how Genesis 1, God said that the humans should have dominion over all the creatures of the earth and should lead them and, and manage them and care for them and so forth, uh, but the idea of leading and exercising dominion. Well, what happens in Genesis 3? We see, and again, very briefly, that what is a serpent doing? The serpent has come and is now going not to Adam, but to Eve, and is essentially manipulating them and trying to defy the order that God has established. Man over the woman, and we could talk more about that. Not every man over every woman, but the husband over the, the wife. A, wife. a woman does not need to submit to all men out there, but to her husband, yes. Ephesians 5 speaks about that. Ephesians 5.33 well, earlier it says, this, is, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with relation to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each man love his wife and see to it that a wife respects her husband. And so we see these distinctions are very much evident from the beginning. But this whole idea of the fall is an attack on what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? And even what are these creatures doing, rising up and leading, exercising dominion over humanity? It's wrong. It is a, a, a direct attack, definitely against God's word, God's his design and his decree from the beginning, right? And even the curse that God pronounces on the man and woman are very sex, sex distinct. Women have uh, pain and childbearing and so forth. Men, because your primary deal is to work and provide for your family, which is also repeated in 1 Timothy 5, Man is worse than an infidel if he doesn't provide for his own family, his own household. So we see that idea repeated. It's not a strange thing. It's not to say that women can't work outside the home and so forth. But as a, as a priority, as a preponderance of piety, and there we go with the P's again, that a man should be doing these things and, uh, and leading and caring for that way. You can write these down if you want. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, but also 1 Corinthians 11. So Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5 says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things, it's not a good idea, it says. No, whoever does these things, it's an abomination. God hates it. God does not. No, that's not going to pass muster for God. I mean, what's the big deal? What's the big deal after all? No, it's because it's denying the order that God has provided the design, the decree that God has given. It's repeated, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 3, talking about all about the distinction between male and female, specifically related to head coverings and hair. You know, long hair is a glory for a woman. 
but it's a shame for a man and so forth. You can read all about these things, but he's underscoring this distinction. There are differences between male and female, and even, very specifically, in the way that they're presented. So not just who do you think you are, but how are you communicating yourself to the world? It's very important to God how we present ourselves, that we do present as a male or as a female, and that we establish God's priority in these things. Now, I want to get very practical as we conclude our time this morning, that there are tremendous opportunities or even very strong reasons why individuals might be favorable toward a gender dysphoria or having their their self-perception differ from who they are as a as a, a human being as a male or female person and okay i'll just get the first one out of the way sin right sin it's a rebellion it's just the way it is but there's so many other reasons but we have to say it is rebellion because who what what's the deal Sin is lawlessness. Sin is a, a treason against God who made us and who told us how we should act. And when we say, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm this other person. I think I need... No, it's a transgression. It's a violation of God. And so we start there, but we don't end there. The whole, we don't, there are many factors that would influence somebody toward this, this kind of thinking. And immaturity. There are just heartbreaking stories of... Again, if an infant can be, or if it can be claimed that an infant can suffer from gender dysphoria, guess what happens with children that are older, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 15, 17, whatever age, where, oh, you, you feel this way, and you know that so many therapists, counselors, whatever, somebody comes to you in a professional setting, and they present or identify as non-cisgender, remember our terms, they, their, their gender identity is different than their anatomy, then you have to affirm them by law, by regulation. If you are a, a therapist in this day and age, you have to affirm them, you have to accept them. You're not there to, to fix them. You're there to help them navigate this wonderful experience. It's a great mystery. How exciting. What an adventure. How, you know, and finally, you, your, your identity can match your, or maybe it's not that, maybe your anatomy can match your identity, right? Maybe we can do some changing over here, which happens through, I mentioned, the puberty blockers, the hormone treatments, and surgery. That's the path. That's the. Uh, but can you? Can there be a reasonable affirmation or a reasonable conclusion in a seven-year-old? I am a boy in a girl's body, or vice versa. Can there be the ability to reason through all these difficult issues? Can is there a long-term perspective? Okay, if I go down this path of of pausing the development from, from childhood to mature adulthood, if I pause that and then I work against it and then, uh, chemically, you know, with hormones, and then maybe even go to the surgery extent, is there an expectation, oh, wait a minute, there is evidence, and, and part of this is, is so experimental, which is why it's so wicked in a, lot, in a lot of respects. It's so wicked what's going on. But a lot of the long-term studies of cross-sex hormonal treatment guys receiving female um, hormones, it leads to cancer, at least to other health issues that I didn't know. That Where was that written in the, you know, the side effect thing? It can lead to sterility where you can't have any children. You've had all these hormones. Your, your body, your organs, they're not functioning anymore, which is what you wanted, right? You wanted to... But they didn't have that understanding. They're 7, 8, 10, 12, 15-year-old kids, and they're going under the knife for these, these horrible, horrible surgeries. 
they're immature. They can't, they can't make these decisions for themselves. What about this? When we deal with emotions, I mean, just y'all have emotions. <laughs> we have emotions. And especially in that time when, and, and most particularly for the young ladies, when a, a young girl is transitioning into mature womanhood, there's just this flood of negative emotions that, that falls upon them and the difficulty of, of just working through these issues and thinking through them. And, and there, there are feelings of, of that, and it goes to another reason, the, the false um, stereotyping of what it means to be a woman, that there's, there's a fear of suffering. Oh, no, this is, this is a curse. This is this whole thing of womanhood. Oh, it's a curse. I don't want it. Or there's anxiety. I just don't know what this is about. Or there's, there's disappointment, especially when you know, so-and-so's body is developing over this way, and the you know, big, strong guy, or he's got the stubble, and he's got the uh, whatever, and, and you, we compare to each other, and so you feel insignificant, and it happens with girls more specifically. Oh, that, that girl, she's beautiful, and she's got all this stuff, and so there's, there's uh, it leads to depression, it leads to, to, to uh, frustration, shame, guilt, all these things that, how does a girl manage these things? And it's, it's, uh, mostly a proven thing that girls go through puberty earlier than boys. And so how, they're young. How are we going to help them navigate through these, these negative emotions related to these things is the body image issues. When, when you have the differences between male and female, and used to be, you know, when kids are kids, you know, they're the same height and they have the same strength and same mental abilities, maybe. Uh, and, and, but then they, they start outpacing each other. And the girls are here, and the same age boys are over here, and they used to be on par, and maybe the boy was just a little bit taller, and now there's different. And, and so there's body image issues, and then that girl is developing this way, and here I am over here, and, and there's comparison, there's inadequacy, and guess what exacerbates it? Guess what you know, turns up the, the flame? Get my recent analogy to what's been in the news with gas stoves and so forth. Anyway, turn up the flame, and, uh, and there is social media that just... Are you kidding me? Do you know what is going on, especially on Instagram, where it's all image-based? Now, there's text there, too, but so much in image-based things that, you know, the best life, the, the, the um, well, it's, it's just feeds this, this body image issue and disappointment and how you feel and you know, I don't feel attractive and all these things. What about outside voices? This conversion therapy, it's all about changing people back to who they are anatomically, Right. Well, what are these voices saying? Because voices come through all kind of media, especially the social time, and there is uh, ideology, multiple ideologies against God presented through these things. There's the idea of oppression, that male are just pigs, there's, you know, male oppression, patriarchal, whatever, the, uh, the women are the victims in this way, and, and then there's the idea of all the, the alphabet thing, LGBTQ+, etc., that, oh, you're this, and, and there's the prospect, do I have it next? I don't know what I have. No, uh, the, uh, of community. There's a hope, hey, if I identify with people just like me, now they're not just like you, because they're, they're pursuing a whole different gender identity based on who they are. It's because it's subjective. How am I to argue with them? Another key factor, why do young people, girls in particular, tend toward a gender dysphoria? <coughs> because of abuse. It's because of assault. Real or uh, feared abuse. That, oh, I can't be too pretty because then I'll, I know what that guy is going to do because he's done it to my friend. So I don't want to be too I'm going to hide it. I'm going to do whatever. There's bullying. It's just rude, violent things. Whether it's feared or actual malevolence, that people are being just 
evil toward one another. And so it's the idea, I need to hide. I can't be who I, who I am. I've got to do something different. Or it's kind of like in a different way, uh, somebody who's really smart, but they have to hide their smartness because they want to fit in with whatever peer group they want to fit in with. No, be who you are. Don't fear the abuse. Don't fear the trauma and so forth that is going on. Again, God is for us and what can man do to me? Well, actually a lot of bad things. A lot of bad things in this world, which is why we need to help our children through these things. Uh, negative views of womanhood. This is a stereotypical thing. That, talking about the whole idea of, of the reproductive process and, and bearing children and, and then the birth process, and then you've got this kid attached to you for 10, 15, 18 years, 26 years, whatever it is. You know, got, and, then, and then at the end of that, you've got this menopause thing, which is changing my body again. How I don't want it. I don't want it. I just want to uh, disconnect from that whole reality. Just avoid it entirely. Because all the stigma, all the embarrassment, all the shame about it, I don't want it. Lack of support. Again, why do, why do young people go this way? Because they don't have a good support system. They, maybe their family life is non-existent. Maybe they have the abuse in the family, maybe, whether immediate family or extended family, a cousin, an uncle, whatever, that's just not good. Uh, that they don't have uh, peers that they can talk to in a, in a substantive way to share their concerns, their, their emotions, that they have to keep up the appearance, which is, I've referenced it a few different times, and we put on our, not just our church attire, but our churchy faces, and we come and say, how you doing? I'm fine. It's great. It's wonderful. And we're hurting inside. We, have, we just heard this news, or we just had this announcement, or read this email, or text, and can we be genuine with each other? These young people don't have a support system, or whatever it is, it, it is, it is a it's not functioning in the way that it should. There is isolation. That there is, uh, whether self-imposed or imposed by others, there's, that, they're, not, they're not like us. I don't feel I fit in. I don't know where I belong. Um, I'm seeking for people to help me, which then there are people that want to help. But they're helping to advance an ideology that is against God. It's contrary to God. And there are many people who would step into that vacuum of relationship. And that, that's horrible. You know, there, there's multiple issues of autism spectrum uh, disorder that, that have to uh, that influence or affect this idea toward a gender identity. More study can be done on that. But it is a real issue helping our children navigate through these, these uh, difficulties. And then finally, there's a false hope that somehow this will fix everything. If I just embrace my gender identity, who I feel I am, then it'll be great. I will have my real self, my whole person. I will have this sense of relief, and, and it's just going to be wonderful. Well, how can we help? How can we help? These are a whole lot of situations. Unfortunately, a lot of times we say, repent. This is a rebellion. This is a sin, which is true, right? And yet there's so much more we can do. And maybe that's not even the first thing we should do, to call somebody to repent. How about be patient with this person? Here's a, here's a child, an older person, uh, older, older, older teenager, even in mature adulthood, who, who for a variety of reasons, they, I am a, a man, a woman's body, or vice versa. And so we need to be patient with them, listen to them. In fact, we go on here. We need to help, especially young girls, process their emotions, just think through Okay, you're angry about this. You're anxious about this. Let's. How, how, why? Not not even why. Don't ask that question so much. But what makes you feel this way, or what what situation is is leading you to this this 
analysis or this conclusion or, or what have other people been saying to you or, or how can you uh, work through this idea of, of disappointment? Just helping them think through the frustrations they have, the hopelessness that they feel and uh, talking through these specific issues, body image issues, helping them understand the process of what's, what's changing in their body, why, why girls are, uh, uh, mature faster than boys and so forth, the issues of attraction, the issues of, hey, you know, you're young. Marriage is not on the table for you for a long while yet. You don't need to be talking about it. even dating and relationships. You don't, you're just so young. Enjoy who you are right now at this stage. And God, how does Jesus say be concerned about today. Tomorrow has enough trouble. I mean, tomorrow has a whole other to-do list that, that be for tomorrow. But today, you enjoy who you are. And it's not a short-term thinking, but it's appreciating the moment that God would, as Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days, that we would appreciate each day in our lives and not say, oh, I wish I was 20 years old or I wish I was 80 years old. I don't suppose any people would wish for that, but not that that's bad. It's closer to Jesus, right? So there's that for it. But to appreciate where has God put you right now in your life. Talk about these things. Protect them from abuse. If you have, and the sad thing is so much of this happens under the, under the radar. We didn't know this was going on for years in our family or in the extended family or whenever we went on to uncle so-and-so's house, this is what happened. Or we didn't know this is what happened in the school or on the bus or whatever, but to be alert and to talk and have an open conversation, especially with kids, because this is the preponderance of, of uh, people in this, in this situation right now, protecting them, being alert, uh, fighting for them. Uh, scriptures talk so much about the righteous person protects those who are, if they're not victims, they are in a position of, of uh, vulnerability, right? Piety is to protect widows and orphans. Well, why am I treating my kid like an orphan? I'm his father. I should protect him. I should help him. I should, and her. I need to help them through these things. Modeling truth. And this has so much to counter the idea, oh, womanhood is a yuck. We don't want that. Or manhood is just evil and, and patriarchal and oppressive. No. When we model what is a godly man, what is a godly woman? How do we enjoy who God has made us to be? How do we embrace the reality that God has given to us and then to use that as a model, as an example for the next generation or to other people? You know, people that were not raised in a Christian home don't know what a husband, a godly husband does or a godly father, a godly mother, wife. I've never seen that in my, in my experience. I don't know what this is about. Modeling it, being very alert to how you present yourself, how you even speak about your spouse. Oh, the old ball and chain, you know, what does she want this time? Or, or you, know, uh, you know, the ways that we hear, that's not godly. That's not funny. That is demeaning. That is wicked. That is not honoring to God. So we model, we speak truth. We provide support. We are a support system. Because I tell you what, our kids are going to find support somewhere or another. How better, how much better to find it in their own home. People that know them and love them and want the best for them. Other people out there, they're not, have that idea. We connect with our kids. We talk to them. We, we relate to them. We, have, we spend time, not just qual or quality stuff, but quantity. We need time with our kids. We are seeking to understand. We're asking questions not to pass judgment on people's opinions, not to say, well, you're just a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. I don't think I said it in the right order. But uh, that you just need to repent. 
wait a minute, what, what's going on? The whole package of who they are. What's, what is their situation? What did you know, their friend just say to them? Or what did they just watch on the TV? Or what, what Instagram post did they just read and say, oh, that's how I'm supposed to be? I can never be like that. Oh, and it's just broken. Seeking to understand them, listening to them. goes back to being patient with them, right? And then, yes, there are times we need to call them to repentance and faith, salvation. There is hope in these, in these, uh, uh, in the, um, in the whole process here. Do you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope, not just for a few sinners, but for every sinner. It's the only solution. And you say, well, I wish I had another solution. No. Why would you want another solution? That's the one. That's the one that takes care of everything. And you receive it by repentance, by grace, through faith. You change your life. Last verse. I'm not going to comment on it. So help me God. First Peter chapter one, verse 13 says, and few more verses. Having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fixed your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not being conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, amazing word, life-giving word, controversial word in this age when there's so much rebellion against you, so much confusion, so much disappointment, frustration, anxiety, depression, all these things that are so violent, so powerful in our lives, but you are our source of strength and stability. You are our refuge in a day of trouble, not just from people outside, but who we are inside, the thoughts that wage war in our hearts and minds and argue against us and lead us into foolish paths and wicked paths and disobedient paths. Please help us, first of all, to walk in a manner worthy of you. Uh, well, even first before that, to confess our sins, to draw near through Christ to you, have salvation that is available, but then to grow to be more like Jesus, and then to be useful to advance that salvation, that gospel in the lives of other people. We're so grateful for your wonderful message, a life-giving message, a message of hope and peace and an identity that cannot be taken away from us. We are yours. We are your children, and you love us. Please help us to show that love toward others, those who are imbibing or believing lies and falsehoods and, and false promises and false hopes and expectations it's not going to happen. It's life only in Christ. Abundant life. True life. Holy life. Please save and sanctify. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.